Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Frozen in Time, Murder at the Bottom of the World, written by Theodore Jerome Cohen. A chilling murder mystery based on real events. The trail from a major theft at the Banco Central de Chile in Talcuajano following the Great Chilean Earthquake of May 22, 1960, leads to base Bernardo O'Higgins, a wind- and snow-swept Chilean army outpost on the North Antarctic Peninsula. When Chilean Army First Sergeant Leonardo Rodriguez fails to return from a seal hunt in the waters around the base, two Chilean Navy non-commissioned officers, CWO Raul Lucero and CPO Eduardo Belolio, become LCDR Christian Barbudo's prime theft and murder suspects. Fearing he will die, Barbudo reveals the identity of his two suspects to visiting scientist Ted Stone, thereby placing Stone's life in jeopardy. But who can Stone trust with this information, if it comes to that, to see justice done? This story is a work of fiction based on real events that took place between 1958 and 1965. It is a tale of greed, betrayal, and murder, one in which the listener is given a window into the frozen world at the bottom of the earth that few people ever will hear about, much less experience. Among other things, it explores why, though seemingly unfair, bad things happen to good people how the battle between good and evil can change forever even the most innocent person, and most of all, the role deception plays in nature, man, and life. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Frozen in Time. Chapter 1. Return to the Highlands Susan instinctively stomped her foot into the car's floorboard, put her hands up in front of her face, and yelled at her husband, Watch out! You're going to hit him! Ted Stone, off in his own world, steered hard left, narrowly missing the man pedaling his racing cycle toward them on the right side of the roadway. Damn it! Why wasn't he going with the traffic on the other side of the road? Ted pounded the steering wheel with his right hand and cursed again under his breath, berating himself for almost causing what could have been a fatal accident. As they continued up the road, Ted reflexively reached down and rubbed the ugly six-inch scar on his left leg. Even the passage of more than four decades had not erased the outward signs of the tragedy that befell him that fateful day in February 1962, while he was working on the North Antarctic Peninsula. The trees on either side of the road had grown significantly during the intervening years. Certainly the brush and hedges had been through countless cycles of death and replanting. But by squinting in the late afternoon sun, Ted was able to project back to a time when, as a graduate student, he made the trip daily from his apartment on Madison's Lake Monona to the highlands west of the city. The trip was easier this afternoon than it had been in those days. Then, his 1959 Saab 93F, with its three-cylinder, two-cycle engine, the type that required a quart of oil to be added to the gas tank at every fill-up, labored up Highland Avenue, 
its exhaust pipe spewing a smoke and emitting the distinct putt-putt sound of a lawnmower. Today, their large rental car slid effortlessly past the back entrance of Brittingham House, former headquarters for the university's geophysical and polar research center, and now home to the president of the university. In his college days, the dilapidated carriage house at the bottom of the hill behind the mansion was occupied by one of Professor Robert Meyer's graduate students and his family. On weekends, the student's old black Volvo, always in need of a valve job, could be found parked in front of the garage with its hood up, the student's legs projecting from the engine compartment while his ever-present black Labrador watched from the shade of a century-old oak. Not this Saturday. The carriage house was in pristine condition while the grounds were impeccably groomed, the lush blue-green grass close-cut by the university's maintenance staff. The trees were well-trimmed as well. Ted was not sure when the center vacated the mansion and moved to the main campus in Madison. No matter. The estate, an elegant Georgian-style house built in 1916, had been restored to its former glory and currently was used for official and charitable community events hosted by the president. The scene was one of total order and serenity, a place where life for him had once moved forward in increments of time measured by weeks that merged into months and finally into semesters that accumulated in the award of degrees. It was a place where he had taken life for granted with the knowledge that tomorrow would be much like today, which in turn would be a lot like yesterday. Worries that there might be no tomorrow never entered his mind until that trip to the bottom of the world. At the least, he thought, no one here is dependent on someone else for survival. It's hard to believe that more than forty years have passed since we last were up here, isn't it? Susan asked rhetorically, brushing stray hairs from her forehead and taking a sip from a small bottle of water. Yes, thought Ted, only half hearing what she had said. His mind still was thousands of miles away in Antarctica, where he almost had lost his life decades earlier, and where troubling questions surrounding events of the distant past still haunted him on many a sleepless night. Huh? What did you say? I said it's hard to believe that more than forty years have passed. Huh. I'm sorry. I was just thinking about the people we knew then. The people I worked with at the center, the people I traveled with to Antarctica. Where are they now? What happened to them? And what really happened that austral summer on the ice? Some of his colleagues, unfortunately, had died, including the man who was his first major professor, Professor George Woolard, the 
Professor George Woolard, world-renowned expert in gravimetry and determinations of the geoid. When Professor Woolard heard that Ted was heading to Antarctica to help a graduate student in the Department of Geology collect rock and fossil samples for that student's doctoral thesis, he insisted, the professor maintained that he used gentle persuasion, Ted take a gravimeter with him. Because there were few gravity measurements at the end of the North Antarctic Peninsula, a new gravity network needed to be established there. The data were needed to assist the university in developing an accurate representation of the Earth's gravity field. The trip to the highlands this afternoon was simply for purposes of seeing how the area had changed and of rekindling old memories. A mere side trip following a visit with some of Susan's former classmates in Middletown. Now, having seen Brittingham House and with their curiosity satisfied, Ted and Susan drove back to Madison's Edgewater Hotel, saying little. His mind still was almost totally focused on the autumn of 1961 and the months leading up to his departure for the frozen continent. The Brittingham estate brought back a torrent of memories of the four University of Wisconsin scientists who traveled to one of the most desolate regions on Earth. Memories of the two graduate students in geology, Grant Morris, a Canadian, and David Green, who was born and raised in Iowa. Their major professor, Ethan O'Mile, Ph.D., a recognized expert in classic sedimentology and earth history, and Ted himself, and of the tightrope they walked between life and death decades earlier. Morris had been Ted's laboratory instructor in Geology 1B in the spring semester of 1960. This was a year after Ted transferred from the School of Engineering to the School of Letters and Science in his junior year. Ted's need to take additional science courses for purposes of satisfying the School of Letters and Science's requirements for graduation led him first to freshman meteorology, then to freshman geology. Ted, at six feet, was taller than the other students in the geology class. He was also 20 years old, three years older than most of his classmates. An extrovert who was endlessly interested in others and what they did, he sought out and made friends easily. Before long, he and Morris, who was only a year older than Ted, struck up a close friendship. Morris, of medium build, was quite handsome, and his female students flirted with him constantly. Always well-dressed in slacks, a shirt with a button-down collar, tie, and cardigan sweater, he had a ready smile and answered questions in a straightforward and professional manner. He was the very model of a teaching assistant at a Big Ten university. There was no question as to his scientific prowess. Morris already had made one trip to Antarctica, mapping an area near the tip of the North Antarctic Peninsula and gathering rock samples for his thesis. Single, he spent considerable time in his laboratory working on the development of his thesis or at his apartment studying. 
However, he also was known to enjoy a good night out in the town with his girlfriend, Vivian, a UW senior. Geology 1B proved to be no challenge for Ted. He easily mastered the material, leaving time during class for him and Morris to discuss Morris's Ph.D. dissertation, or more to the point, Morris's field work in Antarctica. One day, early in May 1960, Grant approached Ted. Hey, Ted, I'm returning to Antarctica in December 1961, Morris began, and I'll need an assistant. Are you interested? Was he interested? Hell yes! The timing is perfect, Grant. I'll be completing my bachelor's degree this summer and starting my master's degree in September. I should finish by August and be ready to join you. Sounds good to me, said Professor O'Mile when apprised of their plan. And so Morris, together with Green and Professor O'Mile, continued to make preparations through the National Science Foundation, NSF, and the Government of Chile, for the University of Wisconsin-Madison team to join the 16th Chilean expedition to the Antarctic. Meanwhile, Ted worked completing his bachelor's degree, then continued on with his master's. Once those were completed, he would formally declare his major in geophysics and join the university's Geophysical and Polar Research Center to begin preparations for the trip south. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Frozen in Time. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.